Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 5th, we are studying Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Jesus has sent out his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the same proclamation that John the Baptist made earlier, the one who prepared the way of the Lord. And now St. Mark returns his narrative to a time for this John, the one who went before Jesus, not only in his preaching, but as we will see today, who also preceded Jesus in death. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Oppel. It's a great joy to be with you again today. Pastor Wheatfelt, how are things going there at the seminary? What are some events you have coming up? Yeah, we just had our annual symposia, albeit online. Uh, all the videos for that, though, are on our Facebook page, and uh, folks are able to take a look at those um, as we celebrate our 175th anniversary as an institution. We focused on that, uh, especially for our uh uh, the systematic symposia. Uh, then for the spring, we've got a handful of different events. We've got our prayerfully consider visit for prospective students. Uh, that is March the 18th through the 20th. Then we have our Christ Academy confirmation retreat uh, where our newest admissions counselor, Pastor Ty Bramwell, is going to uh, be our speaker. Uh, he's written a couple of books and uh, a pamphlet for CPH in regard to uh, closed communion. And he's going to be talking about that April 9th through the 11th. And then our summer events, uh, our summer Christ Academy, uh, the high school for our Timothy school, our boys program and our Phoebe school, our girls program. Those are June 20th through July 3rd. And uh, the registration is still open for those, uh, both those programs. And uh, we'd be elated to have your high schoolers join us again, June 20th through the uh, July 3rd. And if folks are looking for more information, your website is ctsfw.edu? That it is, ctsfw.edu. And uh, yeah, plenty of wonderful opportunities to check out uh, the different happenings here at Fort Wayne, as well as uh, you're able to join us for our daily uh, chapel at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. Eastern time. So please, yeah, we'd love to be able to have you join us all, even if it's virtually. Excellent. Always always nice to hear of the fun and faithful things that are happening there at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, we have for us today Mark 6, 14 to 29, the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. As we prepare to take a look at this text, what context from the preceding part of the Gospel according to St. Mark do we need to know? Well, in way of lead up, I think, you know, looking at the person of John the Baptist, you got to start all the way at the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, all the way back at Mark 1, um, really simply to understand how this person, John, enters into the scene. And he really is the one who enters into the scene first um, with the proclamation or the foretelling by another prophet, Isaiah, 
of his coming, that is, of John's coming uh, in the wilderness. Uh, so John, uh, at Mark 1, uh, 1 or 2 and 3, we have that, that prophecy from Isaiah of the messenger coming before the face of the Lord and uh, a, a, a one, the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And uh, that's, that's just preparing us to see this person, John, as the one who is preparing the way of the Lord uh, through his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a different baptism than uh, the baptism that Jesus brings uh, and the baptism that we do today, but a baptism nonetheless that is important for that time and uh, important for uh, what it is that uh, the ministry of John is all about. And so um, we see uh, then uh, following, uh, continuing on in uh, Mark 1, John baptizing Jesus. And John in, in, in the Gospels is always reluctant uh, to be baptized by Jesus because he knows that Jesus is greater than he, that he has, he will diminish and Christ will rise. Uh, but uh, John, uh, Jesus still calling for John to do that, that holy work uh, on Jesus's behalf for Jesus. But a baptism in reversal, as I'm sure uh, those who had talked about uh, that John, uh, the, the, the baptism by John, um, it's it's a baptism in reversal, a baptism where uh, where in baptism we give our sins or our sins are taken away from us. Probably a better way to say it. Uh, and in return, and uh, Jesus in His baptism actually takes on sin and takes on the punishment we deserve. Uh, so yeah, it's a baptism in reversal. Uh, then that propels Jesus into the wilderness uh, where his ministry begins. And then throughout all of two through six, we see Jesus doing his healings, doing his teaching, ultimately calling his disciples and then get coming into six where we see uh, Jesus's, uh, Jesus first rejected himself and then the 12 being sent out, knowing full well, or Jesus preparing them for the rejection that they are going to experience. And uh, then I think, you know, we come to then uh, this section here in 14 through 29, where we see that rejection at its fullest. See, uh, see that rejection of Jesus's disciples, see that, that rejection of the people who have come to prepare us for the Christ, how that rejection can ultimately play out uh, in, in, in the martyrdom. Really, you know, we, we call it the beheading of John the Baptist, but it really is the martyrdom of John the Baptist. He is dying because of his witness to who Jesus is and what he is going to do. And uh, even though that work, holy, that holy work of, of Christ's death on the cross hasn't been accomplished yet, he's still dying as a witness to who Christ is and what he will do and what now what he has done for us. Yeah, it, it is called, we celebrate this in the church year, August 29th on the church year calendar is observed as the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist, and and rightly so to call it a martyrdom. He is, he is killed because of his faith in Christ. That's why he's there in prison in the first place, and, and that's why he's going to be killed, as we'll see in the text today. One, one more thought, 
Pastor Wheatfeld, yesterday we, we talked a little bit about this, and we've noticed this throughout the Gospel of Mark, that sometimes he will uh, structure his narrative in what I've been calling sandwiches, where he'll have two things on the outside that are enlightened by what's on the inside. Uh, on the inside. And, and we thought yesterday that perhaps that's one way to look at this part of chapter six, is that Jesus' rejection of Nazareth and John's martyrdom that we'll look at today, those two things are meant to enlighten. What does it mean to be sent out for the 12? What does it mean for us as Christians to be sent into the world by our Lord still? It means that we should be expecting rejection. And yet in the midst of that, the Lord is faithful to do his work. And so that's, again, sort of that broad context here in Mark chapter six that we're going to see. This is a bit of a a flashback, I suppose. We, We should keep that in mind that what Mark's about to do, this isn't happening chronologically, but he's going to recount what has already happened. So is a flashback fair way to characterize this text? I would, I would definitely characterize it as that. It's almost as if Mark is moving so fast. Um, he's, he, he continues with his immediately, Im- immediately, immediately. He he almost has to backtrack in a way, as a, and almost like a, oh wait, I forgot to tell you this uh, because this is kind of important too. Uh, but I think yeah, the, just the idea that this is uh, in many ways like a sa- uh, being sandwiched in in that aspect that uh, you know this is what is the kind of full culmination of what it means to be a a Christian uh, in the sense that your witness may result in your death. It doesn't happen all the time, but uh, this is like the full flushing out of, of what it could entail and what it could be for you as a believer, as a witness, ultimately that in witnessing through your blood, um, and 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 the giving, the shedding of your blood for the sake of of that witness of who Jesus is and his his uh, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of all of your sins and the promise of your life eternal. Yeah, that that's right. The promise of a life eternal. We we don't want to lose sight of that here in this text as we see John beheaded. So, Mark six, beginning at verse fourteen, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. 
But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That is the text for today, Mark 6, verses 14 through 29. So, Pastor Wheatfelt, the text starts, again, it sets this up that this is a flashback. King Herod heard of of it. What is King Herod hearing about? Yeah, King Herod is hearing about the works that Jesus is doing, and uh, it, it's really... You know, he he. Ultimately, it's 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 this power <laughs> that, uh, that 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 he is seeing and being enacted through the works of Jesus, through the works of the apostles, now being sent out, doing all sorts of miraculous wonders, and trying to figure out exactly how it is that this is able to happen. We haven't seen things like this, uh, uh, you know, inside of in in, in people. And uh, so what do they do? They automatically jump to the thought that, oh, this is John the Baptist uh, who, who, is being, who has been raised from the dead. And uh, it really um, probably startles, alarms, and causes some great fear in the person of Herod simply because, I mean, we'll see it later in the text. He's already one who is fearful of John the Baptist uh, and I would argue it's the fear, uh, not necessarily of being being scared, but more of how you know how we're called to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That to realize that I am small, you are great, and um, when when the person of of Herod sees John the Baptist, he he acknowledges that he is a holy man. That there is something set apart. Uh, in that sense uh, of the word holy, there's something set apart from John and him, and he is not able to really have any authority, even if he is the one that is the the, the quote unquote ruler. Uh, remember, Herod is is quote unquote the tetrarch, uh, a, a su- kind of sub king uh, uh, to um, to uh, here in in, in Jerusalem. Uh, so he is he he's his cha- he's already being challenged as a, as a ruler, but uh, he is a uh, his his power is only power of this world, and he acknowledges that. But the things that are happening that he's seeing in the person of Jesus and that he saw in the person of John, uh, those are things that are much greater much more powerful than anything uh, that he can conjure up for himself or that his his people can conjure up um, for them as well. So there's a lot, yeah, <laughs> a lot going on there, uh, even in that little, <laughs> first little sentence uh, uh, that, 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 uh, that Herod is, is seeing this, the, the, th- the things that are going on um, and uh, that he has made, it's been made known of the name of Jesus. Uh, to, to to Herod as well. Herod is going to be, as we will see, a very interesting character to examine. He he's got a lot of contours to his his personality that are revealed here just in this short text. I, I and I think we'll talk more about this later when we get to those. But I I classify him as a tragic figure to a degree. Uh, not and not tragic in the sense that he's resolve or removed of the the guilt that he certainly bears but there's there's those moments where you you see Herod and you think 
you know, you're so close. You're just so close, but but you won't go all the way into to full faith. And we'll 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 talk about that. He he really is a just a very a very interesting figure, I think, in the in the gospel. And and I would I, tragic, I think, is the best word that I I can use. But before we get to Herod, the the text really does start off as you said. It, it centers around what people are saying about Jesus, and, and they've got all kinds of thoughts about him, which is something we've already seen in the Gospel of Mark. Mark has presented to us a variety of people who in one way or another are saying something about Jesus. All of them are are missing the boat. Nobody's really fully gotten Jesus at this point. That's not going to happen till the centurion sees Jesus crucified and confesses him to be the son of God. Mm-hmm. And we see that this news about Jesus has gotten far and wide. Lots of people are having ideas about him. One of the things, and, and I'll let you take it after this, one of the things that just strikes me is that some people are saying, and this is where Herod's going to fall, is that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. I, I find it fascinating that a large group of people, it seems, have no problem thinking that this guy is, has been raised from the dead. That, that The thought that there's a guy out there who's been raised from the dead and that's the explanation, they got no problem with that explanation. <laughs> Whereas in today's world, you know, if, if we thought that somebody was this guy raised from the dead, people would look at us like we're nuts. Yeah. But that's not a problem for this society. So with that in mind, take us into these false thoughts that are out there about Jesus. Yeah, it's really it's really amazing um, how, how the... Uh, yeah, the, the 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 their automatic jump <laughs> is to first that that Herod has, or that sorry John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's that's that has to be the reason why uh, this this Jesus guy and his disciples are able to to do these great uh, things because John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. But the great thing is, yeah, they 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 immediately then jump to. Um, no, he's others saying he's Elijah, uh, the one who is to come, uh, to come and be the bearer, uh, the, the 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 marker for when the Messiah is to come, and uh, and then others will say that he's just one of another one of the prophets from of old. So it, in many ways, the people ki- are, are trying to get it. They, but they, like Herod, tragically miss the mark and miss the mark over and over and over again because they're, what they're doing is they're simply stepping back, stepping it back um, that he first is uh, – that Jesus is first, you know, wh- who what we know as uh, one of the um, – one of one of the foretellers, one of the prophets in John the Baptist. That's what people are saying, and then they step it back a little bit further and say, "Oh no, he's he's not the last prophet, but he's the one that's supposed to point us to the Messiah." And uh, then they, you know, kind of stepping it back even further. Uh, no, he's just he is just one of the prophets from of old. So. All of the, I mean, the great, the great irony is all of these guys are dead. <laughs> Somebody had, I mean, they're out of they're, all of the, the only thing that they can explain is that clearly someone has, has risen from the dead, which is really amazing seeing as how, you know, how does Jesus's, how does, how does, how does Jesus's story kind of end with him raise it being raised from the dead, his, his his rising from death and then ultimately the ascension and uh, his story continues on from there. But, but how his his story here on earth ends with, yeah, his, his raising from the dead. Uh, And so there is an actual raising from the dead, uh, but that's, 
not the point here. The point is that, no, this is, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one who is to, uh, you know, to, uh, save the people of God uh, from their sins. Hence his name. He is the anointed one. Hence the name of, of a Messiah or Christ. Uh, he is that, he is that one. And so, yeah, the people are confused. Uh, it's much easier <laughs> to believe almost something fantastical uh, than it is to believe something that is right in front of your nose. Uh, then it, it is, is much easier to believe something completely out there and random, uh, something that has only happened a handful of times and something that uh, is easy to, uh, is, is uh, easy almost to, to, to kind of blush, uh, to, to, to shrug off. That's the word shrug off. Um, it, than it is to actually believe that, oh, wait, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who was foretold and who was promised that he would come to, uh, to, 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 uh, to save the people of God. And uh, at this point, you know, they're, 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 they're not even probably looking for the Messiah. They don't really want the Messiah to come. They're fine and content with their laws. But, uh, you know, Jesus is the one who ultimately comes and uh, comes to save his people. Uh, save all of his people from their sins. I think you made a great point when you're talking about the the lengths that unbelief will go to in order to hold on to that unbelief rather than simply believe the truth that's right in front of you. Unbelief would rather hold on to something that just is completely fantastical and, and quite unlikely in an effort to just hold on to the unbelief. Yeah. And I think there's an element of that that's true of the people at large it, in Jesus' time at this point in the Gospel of Mark. It's certainly true when it comes to his his enemies. We've seen that really with the scribes and Pharisees already who, who are willing to think that Jesus is casting out demons by the prince of demons, which, of course, Jesus shows them how ridiculous an idea that is. But I think that helps us to get a grip on what happens here with both Herod and Herodias and how that that confusion about Jesus, the reason they're having confusion about Jesus is because they were confused about John and they didn't, they didn't get him. And when you don't get the forerunner, you don't get the Christ either. And so that's, that's really, I think what, what Mark is doing here, he's, he's using this. He's saying, look, here's the confusion that's out there about Jesus. Herod fell into this camp that thought Jesus was John raised from the dead. And that becomes the springboard that Mark uses to tell us, well, why, why is John raised from the dead. You never told us about that, Mark. And so he's going to use that as, as the, the springboard to tell us. So he gives us some background. And again, this is, this is information that Mark didn't actually fill in all of the gaps back in chapter one. As you said, he was in such a rush to get to Jesus and his preaching. We didn't hear a ton about John. We got a little, we got about three minutes here before the break. That's probably enough, Pastor Wheatfelt, to take us into this backstory that Mark starts giving us in, in verse 17. What did what was John doing in the prison in the first place? Yeah, so John John had been uh, preaching uh, a baptism of repentance. Uh, and in preaching a baptism of repentance, it's a, it, we, we know from the other gospels that people are coming out, and even from Mark's gospel, that people are coming out to him. And uh, so he is pr also preaching against and unpopular, pr unpopularly preaching against who or what and what um, what Herod and Herodias are doing. Uh, that is, Herod has taken now his brother Philip's wife and has has married her. 
And so you have got this kind of fakish king now living in a fakish marriage uh, with, and, and, you know, Herodias loves this because she wants to, she wants to be <laughs> what I would call a fakish queen, uh, if you will, uh, for, uh, with, with, with Herod by her side. She's, she's taking a, she's stepping up in the world and uh, has now moved on from, from Philip to uh, Herod. And uh, so, but, um, you know, Mark, Mark tr- is helping uh, clear up um you know what's going on here uh, by and in in the way that um, or so that uh, he can he can just kind of lay things out for us for the through the through the rest of the gospel and how um, you know why help help make sure that we understand hey the the thoughts about John um, and Jesus being connected are not possible. We know that because John is proclaiming Jesus. They're there at the same time together. They're there as John is proclaiming Jesus. They're there in the waters of, of the Jordan for Jesus's own baptism. And uh, so the, anybody that thinks this, all they have to do is go talk to those who are there when Jesus was baptized to say, no, these are two separate people. They're two separate people, um, and they are uh, because we saw that. We saw that with our own eyes, that there's no way that John and Jesus are, are the same people. But uh, John finds himself in prison because he's preaching against Herod and Herodias and the fake marriage for these two fake monarchs uh, that, 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 that is going on uh, between the two of them. And that's how John gets himself in trouble. And uh, John is, as we will we'll talk more after the, after the, at the turn, uh, is preaching the law. And the law stings uh, when the law comes at you and hits you with its full weight. Uh, and so that's not, you know, as, 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 uh, as people and as uh, sinners, having the weight of the law hit us is not fun. But uh, it, it really, as we'll see, has two effects. And uh, those effects are two, two kind of uh, pr- products, uh, continued disbelief or um, faith um, and that continued disbelief can make people do crazy things. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just amazing uh, how, 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 how the law pushes uh, folks one way or the other way. Yeah. And, and we will see that in both Herod and Herodias in this text, which we'll pick up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 5th. We are studying Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. We've got Pastor Matt. 
Matt Wheatfelt with us. He serves as the Director of Admissions and the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, uh, we were talking about how John is in prison for preaching the law. Very clearly, it is not lawful for you, Herod, to have your brother's wife. And that law is preached to Herod. It's preached to Herodias both. Herod's the one that's thrown him in prison, but Herodias, she's involved in this as well. You're talking before the break about how the law, when it's preached, can show itself in different ways, particularly we've got a couple of unbelievers here. How do we see the fruit of the law being preached with Herodias first? Yeah, so the fruit of the law uh, in regard to Herodias causes her to continue to shrink inward, continue to focus inward and move inward. And uh, it it produces, uh, as the text says, a grudge against then John the Baptist. Uh, he, she hates him. <laughs> she, I mean, I don't know other, what other way to say that, but other than that, she, she hates him and she, uh, she holds on to that grudge uh, in him. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, in many, in, in all ways that, that, that is a proof that the law is having an effect that the, that the word of God is effective and the law of God is having an effect on uh, the individual and on, on on whoever it is, the the law works. Uh, it, it it causes either rebellion or it causes one to um, uh, shrink in, uh, shrink down and, and realize that they are wrong. Um, to clean up my language from before, I, I said causes faith. It does not. The law does not cause faith. It drives someone to the point in which they realize they cannot do this themselves. It's the Holy Spirit then that causes faith. And uh, it, it rejoices in the gift uh, of, of forgiveness, rejoices in the gift of the gospel. But the law does not. The law does not cause uh, faith in and of itself. It just drives someone to the point of uh, whether it be uh, despair uh, or it d- drives the person to realize they can. They're not. They cannot do this themselves. Uh, and uh, you know. Um, or and it drives the person to harden their heart, like what Herodias is is doing here. Someone who thinks that they can accomplish this themselves, or who thinks that they're not, um, who thinks that they're not sinning or not doing anything wrong, or just wants to do and live life their own way. So that it causes it causes that uh, to happen within the person. Uh, but it's really amazing how uh, then on the other side, uh, the proof that the law is working in Herod is that it causes him, fear in him. It causes fear uh, to rise up, knowing that he he knows what he's doing is wrong. And he knows that he needs to stop doing what he's doing because this holy man is now preaching against him and against the things that he is doing. And uh, it causes fear as in uh, not, not to be scared, but to, to, to realize he is smaller uh, than what, uh, than, than, than the person of John in regard to his spirituality. And he is in need of what John uh, is uh, bringing uh, that what John has and uh, that he is in need of something more than what he has in and of himself. This is uh, this is where I was saying earlier. I, I find Herod to be a tragic character, a very and and just a very interesting character. The way that Mark describes him here, you you get a couple of reactions, uh, emotions, even that are that are listed here. We don't always hear emotions in the scriptures, but here are a couple. So Herod 
is afraid of John, as you were saying, because he knows that there's there's something about John that stands over Herod. Even with the power that Herod has as Tetrarch, Herod recognizes that John's got something that he doesn't, and there's a fear there. And so he he keeps John safe on that hand. But then you get this. So he's greatly perplexed. There's a confusion that Herod has. And he even then hears John gladly. So he actually likes to listen to John, which is just a, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. What's going on with you, Herod? And again, that's where I would call him tragic because it's like he almost gets it. He's, he's right at that point where the law is about to bring him to repentance, but he just, he, he, there's that last barrier that that just never gets knocked down. It seems he he likes to listen to the word of God. You know, I think he like if you were, you know, he thinks the Bible is interesting, but he doesn't believe it. And that's that's where Herod, he still even with this complex tragic character that he is, he still falls short and doesn't actually have saving faith. Absolutely, he, I mean he he continues to fall short simply because he is not. Um, he 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 is not. Uh, he continues to cho- cho- choose to do things uh, for himself in his own way. He continues to yeah. What, whereas it might be nice, he might he might even enjoy hearing uh, the word of God. Uh, he is he still is choosing to live in a different way. He's uh, he's choosing to do things his own way, and that's ultimately going to be his downfall. And uh, it, it's it's uh, it, it 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 will continue to haunt. I mean, in, in many ways, continue to haunt him. I think that's why, in many ways, uh, speaking of haunting him, he thinks that this is John the Baptist, yeah. the, the the work of John the Baptist. Uh, he thinks this is John the Baptist. Uh, who is doing these works here, uh, almost as if he is being haunted by the ghost of John the Baptist, um, or n- not even the ghost of John the Baptist, but that he, John the Baptist has come uh, to avenge his own death. And in avenging his own death, he is going to, um, he's coming after Herod, ultimately. <laughs> Herod is the one who allowed for the his death, allowed for his uh, expedient killing and uh, Herod is going. Herod's next. Uh, Herod probably thinks, and so in some way he is. Uh, he is fearful of uh, of John the Baptist now in a way that he wasn't previously. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, yeah, he in many ways it's uh, uh, as in uh, Herod wanting to listen to the words of John is. It reminds me of the of of the words of Psalm one nineteen. How sweet are the words to the to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth that this word the word of god just has a way of 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 drawing the listener in uh, even prior to faith uh, that the word of god is so sweet uh, whereas you know the, the, in, for some it is a, it is a it's a bitter word uh, but the word of the lord and especially as one who is 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 brought to faith is so sweet uh, herod's a, again a tra- just a tragic case because he's coming so close uh, he he he's coming oh so close but still um, at the uh, ultimately rejects the word of god and we'll see at the end of um, at the end of the gospel and at the end of Jesus's life, uh, Jesus is seen as more of a sideshow um, as opposed to uh, Herod's savior. 
I mean, it's like Herod, he likes everything that he hears until it gets to the the for you part yeah. of it. And so the for you of the law means, hey, you, Herod, you're the sinner that's being described here. And and that's where he just can't go there. That's yeah. that's where the sweetness begins to turn to something. Uh, you that sounds nice enough, John, and and I'll protect you, but that that part's not for me. Some something like that. And he he in doing that, he likes it, but he still he just holds it at arm's length and and won't let the law do its full work of actually killing the sinner so that Christ can raise the new man in the gospel. And that's that's where, again, as we've been saying, Herod is just this this tragic figure that seems so close, but but still hardens his heart. And and the way that it happens is just Man, uh, you know, tragedy, I, I think it's just a, a word for it because, or a tragedy of errors. I don't want to call it a comedy of errors. A, a tragedy of errors as this account progresses, it just one thing leads to another. And, and all of a sudden, Herod is just completely out of control of the situation. And, and oh, it's just, it seems awful. And it is awful. Take us into to what happens that actually leads to the the Baptist beheading. Yeah. So, um, go thinking about what um, how the law works. Um, one of the reactions uh, to sin uh, uh, being convicted by the law is to cover it up. And so um, Herodias tries to in in some way cover up their sin uh so in, instead of actually covering up the sin um they they're trying to, she's trying to cover up the convicting of that sin by the law and if john is the one uh who comes or who has been preaching against this um he is the one who now bears um the brunt bears the force and because of of, of his preaching of of the law to them and uh, ultimately, that's what the the beheading and the head of John the Baptist um, means for Herodias, that there and, and for her and for her daughter too. She's trying and, and she's culpable, capable, culpable. There we go, culpable of of this as well. And uh, uh, and she she's wrapped up in this too, of uh, in asking for it. But uh, it, it ultimately Herodias is trying to simply cover up the sin by silencing the one who is speaking uh, the message, the one who is speaking the the news of the sin that she and Herod are wrapped up in. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, on the other hand though, um, you know, this is, it's really, it's really amazing how uh, Herod, even in, even in his um, hard heartedness, um, he still is when 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 is when he's asked for this. He is still, in some way, I would almost say heartbroken. Uh, he's he doesn't want to do it, uh, but at the end, but he also has to keep his word. Um, if he keeps uh, for, I mean, in the eyes of his uh, the the in the, those who are around him, the leaders, the military leaders especially, if he doesn't keep his word in what is seemingly small, how can they trust him to keep his word in something seemingly? Big, whether it's going to battle, whether it's uh, supplying the troops, whether it's uh, treaties and and taxes and all that kind of stuff, how can how can they trust him if he is not going to keep his word to, by letting uh, having the head of one of his political 
rivals. Um, Cause I mean, even just at a, even at a political, uh, just thinking about this politically, John is a political rival. That is, he is one who is challenging uh, the, person of the king uh, whether i mean we would call that a, i guess uh you know he's a he's a he's he's a theologian <laughs> but uh you know in in the in the mind of the people he is a he's a political rival uh he's a, he, he's challenging uh the the the, the tetrarch uh, in in his lifestyle and we see the uh, other cases of that uh throughout history and they're always political it's always looked at in a political way I think I think that's a good point that uh, that certainly explains why Herod takes the action that he does. He's had his hand forced. He he brought it upon himself, which, again, is part of the tragedy of it. Mm -hmm. He's got a birthday party and the daughter of Herodias dances and everybody is so pleased. And and Herod just blurts out what happens to be on his mind. I'm reminded a little bit, we studied the book of Judges not that long ago on Sharper Iron, and Jephthah makes a rather rash vow in Judges chapter 11. And here you've got Herod not having read his Bible, apparently, and (laughs) not listening, and just says, hey, whatever you want up to half the kingdom. And that's where Herodias finds her opening to exact vengeance in her anger and yeah, I mean, Herod, what what's he gonna do? He he reminds me, and, and I think this 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 helps. It, it reminds me a lot of what will happen when Jesus is on trial under Pontius Pilate, where again you you get the sense that Pontius Pilate doesn't want to kill Jesus. He knows that Jesus is innocent. You get the same thing here from Herod. He you know he he doesn't like that that John's been saying, hey, you're committing adultery. You need to stop, but. He knows he shouldn't kill John, mm-hmm. but he does anyway. He gets his hand forced. Yeah. And similar with Pontius Pilate, he gets his hand forced. Neither neither one, Herod nor Pilate, is off the hook because of that. They still bear the responsibility. It it's just that that tragedy of unbelief that shows I mean, where where is unbelief gonna lead you? It seems maybe innocent enough right now. But look what happened in the case of Herod and Pilate. It led them to killing John and Jesus, the forerunner and the Christ, out of unbelief. And again, it's it's that tragic thing that, man, Herod, just listen, believe. And and yeah, it might not go well for you politically, but the, the benefits are eternal. Absolutely, the benefits are the benefits are eternal. Uh, the whole and and so I mean this both in the person of Herod and the person of Pilate. It's a rejection of the Holy Spirit uh, that is working. You know, even in the 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 words of 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 uh, John or the words of Jesus. And uh, yeah, they 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 give in to uh, the they they have it in they have it in the way of the world as opposed to the way of faith. And they choose that way over um, being obedient and receiving the gift of faith and uh, listening to what that, how that word works and how that word um, ultimately has its, its full fruition for them. But, uh, you know, going on, um, it's, it's really amazing how, you know, even Mark in Mark's continuation, it's not like, you know, Oh, he, uh, that John's going to get a trial and John's going to you know, pony up his lawyers and John's going to do this, John's going to do that. Nope. 
it's a reminder for us of how the ancient world works. The king says you're dead, you are dead. <laughs> and in Markan fashion, it's immediately, it is immediately um, just head lopped off, given to um, given to uh, Herodias's daughter, and she rejoices. And uh, she rejoices just like the world does in the death of the saints. Uh, that is in the death of in the in the death of the innocent, um, and in the so that uh, she may again have it her way, as opposed to the way of Christ and the way of uh, that that He ultimately gives. And uh, yeah, he he she chooses she chooses that uh, the death of, of 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 John, which is really amazing. It seems again the, when the the uh, the when she asks for this, it was probably, um, you know, looked at it very strangely. The king just offered you up to half of his kingdom and you choose to kill someone. Why would you ever do that? Why don't you take the, the half the kingdom? And, uh, why would you ever, why would, why would you ever do that? Um, but, but, uh, yeah, she chooses, she chooses the death of, of, of John. And um, you know, I, I I think then in twenty nine, the concluding verse, you know, in many ways this is similar to Jesus's death, where Jesus's disciples come, you know, they ask they ask Pilate for Jesus's body, and he he acts surprised that, that Jesus has died so quickly, and and checks and makes sure everything is okay, and yes, Jesus is dead, and then they go and bury him. Similarly here, um, you know, John's disciples come. And John's disciples um, take his body and bury his body um, in a grave, and uh, you know, with uh, with the hope of the resurrection, the hope of of that that, that life will will come for him, and uh, that just as he has died now as a witness to who the Christ is, so uh, you know, our prayer is too that uh, you know if if our our t- if we are called upon to to witness to the the life of Christ in this way, we too would, um, you know, receive the, the, we would, we would receive our our heavenly reward, not for the work that, not for any work that we would do, but out of um, the the grace of Christ who has forgiven us of all of our sins and gives us the price or the, the gives us the promise, the promise of life eternal. When it comes to the way that John was martyred and you were talking about how Herodias just rejoiced in this, that, you know, she's so hateful toward John that of all the things she could have asked for, that's what she asked for is his head, his death and, and how much joy there is at the, in the world over the death of a faithful Christian and and in such a, you know, what a meaningless looking way to die. I mean, how, how would the world not look at something like this and just laugh at, at John? Like, look at you. I mean, what, for what? And, and yet I'm reminded of the, the verse in, I think it's Psalm 116, precious in the Lord's sight is the death of his saints. That, that even, even in death, the Lord has not forgotten John. And, and I think that's where the burial of John is really such an important point as you said, we're, we're thinking forward to Christ. So, and, and uh, John is the forerunner of Jesus. He goes before Jesus in preaching repentance of sins. And now he goes before Jesus in death. We see here a picture of what will happen to the Lord. The, the tables are turned though. There is one thing in which Jesus precedes John and that's the resurrection. Absolutely. And, and I think that is so, that's why the burial of John is so important. He's buried in that hope that the one that he precedes will follow him into the tomb, but that 
that same one will actually lead John out of the tomb. And that's where just this this total tragedy, what would be a tragedy in the eyes of the world for us as Christians does provide a great measure of comfort and hope as we think about what it means to live as his disciples in this world. The world may kill us, but the one who has gone before us in resurrection will bring us out as well. Absolutely. He is the one who uh, ultimately has the final say, the full say, the say that is beyond all other says. And so even though John you know, dies like in many ways one of the prophets, of the prophets of from of old, John uh, knows uh, full well that he uh, he will receive his reward. That is not a reward of this world, but a reward in the in, in Jesus Christ. And uh, it's 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 uh, John's life is a life that has been uh, lived fully uh, towards repentance, whether it be at the uh, that it, uh, preaching repentance. John's life is a life that is fully towards preaching repentance, uh, whether that's at the at Jordan River, at the Jordan River, uh, or in in the palace of the king. Uh, it's really amazing, and in, in some way, uh, J- John's life also mimics. Um, the life of St. Paul, where he, you know, where Paul weaves and winds and ultimately makes it to be able to preach the gospel even to, to Caesar himself. Um, but, and, and, and John is able to do that to, to, to the Tetrarch, to the king. Uh, and uh, it, it's really amazing how the word of God can make it um, even uh, continue on, even, even to, the, to the, the places of princes and kings uh, and Caesars uh, to, to, to boot. So, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's really, you know, I think this, this text, it does a great job and, and it's kind of foreshadowing for us, Jesus's parable of uh, the wicked tenants uh, in, in, uh, in Mark's gospel. He, Mark uh, uses it in, in chapter 12 verses one through uh, two, where uh, the, there's a there's there's a owner of a property and he rents that property out to tenants and the tenants uh, do what the tenants do and so uh, when when it's time for the for the owner to come uh, he sends a messenger and they 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 beat him and then they another one they they sorry they rob one they beat another and then finally they start killing them and ultimately they they, they, they when the sun comes they kill him also. Uh, that is an end timesy uh, sort of parable, reminding us that uh, you know the prophet. This is this is the way that it works. That the that the that the world will always hate us. The world will always hate us, and the world will always continue to uh, try to destroy us as believers. But thanks be to God in Christ Jesus that we cannot be destroyed. Even if they, even if they, even if they beat us, even if they rob us, even if they they uh, they they kill us, they cannot rob us completely of all things needful in this world. That is life and salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, they cannot steal that from us. And that that parable, Jesus concludes it in Mark 12 by quoting from the Psalms that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, a promise of his own resurrection, which is what awaits us as well. All those who die in Christ will receive that same resurrection. Pastor Weevil, we've got about two minutes here to wrap things up. Give us your concluding thoughts through a text even like this, 
the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist uh, point us to the hope that is ours in Christ? Absolutely. The hope that f- the hope for us is that we see like any of the, whether they be the Old Testament saints or the New Testament saints, we know that uh, all in all Christ dies for us. Christ has died for them. Uh, they are with him. Christ dies for us. We will be with him also. Uh, and and that, that that being with him is a, is, is a life uh, that, that will never end. And uh, even though, again, as I said, uh, even though the world will try to destroy this body, even though sin causes decay in this body, even though the devil continues to tempt and to continue to, uh, to try to cause doubt in us, um, they cannot ultimately take away the faith or the salvation that you have uh, in in Christ. That is that is what you have. That's the gift you have been given. That is what He has sealed you in in holy baptism. That is what He continues to give and live in you every day of your life. That you may uh, know that you are fully forgiven of all of your sins and that you are completely. Uh, loved by your heavenly father who gives his son to die for you and continues to send his Holy Spirit to strengthen your faith. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to be in God's word, to be at church and receive his sacraments uh, so that we may continue to be strengthened for the days to come and be given uh, you know, more and more strength for all of the, the heartaches and the turmoils that this world may cause. Pastor Matt Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for helping us with Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Absolutely, Pastor Oppel. Just a great uh, joy to be with you. God's blessings as you continue on through Mark's gospel. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. If you have questions about Mark chapter 6 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send us an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We love to hear from our listeners on Sharper Iron. Thanks for listening this morning. Talk to you again next week.